formation. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Texas is back. The kicker. The kicker comes through. We're back. Welcome to the Fire Tom Herman podcast, your overreactionary Texas Longhorns football fan podcast. My name is Josh, I am your host, and this week I am not alone for this episode. Joining me in this disgusting mix of crippling depression and absolute primal rage that I think everyone in Longhorn Nation is feeling right now is our producer, Tux. Tux, it has been a while since you've been on the show, so before we get too carried away, let's, let's just start with the basics. How are you? How's your pandemic experience been? All of that good stuff. Hey, I'm glad to be back. I usually sit back and produce, but it's, yeah, I thought it was a good chance to jump back in. You know, especially when we're actually discussing what the podcast was meant to discuss. Comes to firing coaches, we I feel like we are we we shine in that regard, right? Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, the people expect this of us. This is what we're supposed to deliver is hot takes and apparently not so hot takes about the job status of our coaching staff. It's been a huge week for us the last two weeks. We have blown up on Twitter, uh, much to my chagrin to a certain degree. But, you know, the name of the podcast is Fire Tom Herman. It's time to fire Tom Herman. So let's get after it, I guess. Yeah, and just to catch up, thank you guys for listening to us that you know have been with us for the past what is it, three years now or four years that we've been trying to do this? So it's uh, good to be back. Yeah, four years in some some form or fashion. Not so great at posting regularly the first year. Had a lot of format changes. Sort of settled in the back half of 2018, I think. 2019 got into the Horns cast group. So yeah, it's been a steady climb here. I think anyone who's concerned should know that if Tom Herman is actually fired, we're not going anywhere. We're just going to change the name of the podcast because I think it was in the very first episode we all agreed that the least qualified person to be the head coach of the Texas Longhorns football team is whoever the current head coach of the Texas Longhorns football team is. So whether that's fire Matt Campbell or fire Urban Meyer or fire Mike Gundy or fire Nick Saban or fire Kyle Shanahan, whatever it is, we will change our name to that. And uh, we'll just keep on rolling with the uh, podcast that you guys have come to expect and possibly only slightly loathe. Okay, what happens for the listeners who may be curious, if we get an interim, what if there's a mid-season firing and for whatever reason, we get coach, head coach Stan Drayton? I mean, I think there has to be sort of a, I don't, I don't want to call it a mourning period, but maybe like a, a refractory period there. We're not going to immediately switch to fire Stan Drayton. I think it's going to be the We Fired Tom Herman podcast for at least a few weeks, and then we'll figure out what's next from there. All right. Okay. So with all that, uh, I think we should get to the main topic, right? I think we should, and I think the best people to introduce this are some of the voicemails that we've had, and we'll listen to the first one right now. 
Yeah, this is Keith out here in Houston. I, I just turned the Oklahoma-Texas game off during the fourth quarter. I've never seen a team that didn't want to win, that didn't have any effort. It, it's sad to be a Texas Longhorn right now. I said after the Baylor game last year, fire them all, let's start over again. And I'm going to say it again, fire them all, let's start over again. Who cares if we lose our 2021 recruiting class, Quinn years? we got to do something because this is just the most pathetic thing I've ever seen. I say we fire Tom Herman and bring in Urban Meyer. Let's do it. Hook him. Thank you, Keith, from Houston for calling in the first of multiple voicemails. I think this is the first episode where we've done more than one voicemail. Uh, but we had multiple people call in, lots of good voicemails to talk about. Keith mentioned that he turned off the game in the middle of the fourth quarter, which is probably fair. I think a lot of us felt the pull towards that. Some of us apparently are just bigger masochists than others because we stuck around. I watched the whole thing. But he talked about no no effort from the team. Seemed like they, they didn't really want to win. It, it felt like basically the entire second half, I think, just felt like the team played flat. Yeah, I think you can say that for sure this team played tight. You're not used to seeing that from Tom Herman against a big opponent, right? I don't care if Oklahoma is unranked. It's freaking Oklahoma, right? It's the one game you're supposed to, you're expected to show up for if you were the Texas head coach. And you could see it, right? The entire team was playing not to lose. And if you're playing like that in 2020, guess what? You're going to lose. Yeah, and it, it is strange because even Mac Brown and Charlie Strong felt like they put up better fights against Oklahoma in their dying days than Tom Herman has done the last two years. So it's really disappointing, especially knowing that we hired Herman under this expectation of he's a big game coach. When the game is really important, the team is going to look its best. And I think to this point, short of the ridiculous refereeing we saw against TCU, that might have been the worst we've seen this Texas team look all season. Well, I don't know about that. They were down by 15 to Texas Tech. So Yeah, but at least the offense occasionally worked against Texas Tech. Well, yeah, because it's Texas Tech. Even still, okay, OU's so, defense is not exactly a world beater this year. No, not at all. This was like a total collapse, right? Offense and defense. And so I, I can see the spirit of what you're saying right there. But yeah, we, we tightened up. And until the team had nothing left to lose, basically in the last, what, three, four, five minutes of the game, that's when you see them turn it on. And I don't know if they can keep getting away playing like this. I'm hoping Mike Yersich is more cognizant of that than Tom Herman. Tom Herman insists on wanting to be this power run team, wanting to control the clock with the ground game. And it seems like the stats pretty well support. I know you shared uh, offline, shared a chart that showed on early downs the pass success versus run success. And we are significantly better throwing the ball on early downs. We need Mike Yersich to sort of step up, take control, and start calling some plays that are far more aggressive. Because, like, I, I understand this desire to be able to be physical and strong and be able to sort of do the choke the life out of the opponent type of drive that you really see out of, like, the service academies, where they go on those death march, 10-minute long drives, 10-minute, 20-play 75-yard touchdown drive. I understand a desire to want to do that because I think there is a time and place that you need that. But clearly this team is neither 
they're never in the situation where that has become critical yet. And the only times that we seem to have been consistently effective are in those last few minutes in a desperate, furious comeback against Texas Tech or a desperate comeback against OU or we got some creative play calling in the very last drive against TCU up until Keontae fumbled the ball. So my only hope is that we can find a way to just be more aggressive because, like you said, us playing fast and loose and like we've got nothing to lose is the only way that we've been able to succeed so far this year. So I'm going to mildly disagree on there. Uh, and one of the takes you said about wanting Mike Yursich to call a more aggressive game plan, I can see the merits of that. I just want to see a more efficient game plan that takes into account what we have on this team, right? So if you look at this team right now, what they have is a complete lack of outside wide receivers. Tariq Black, Schooler, and Brennan Eagles are no-shows on the outside. The tight end position is a black hole right now. Cade Brewer can't do much for you. The running backs are good for the occasional receiving threat, but they're not producing very much on the ground. They're not getting very many opportunities on the ground because the offensive line sucks so much. And you have Herman defaulting into his turtle mode, basically, where he wants to call the QB run as often as he can and then try to get some play action shots from that. So I, I don't want to see a more aggressive offense because I think a more aggressive offense to Mike Yersuch means he's just going to call double moves and four verts every single play, and I don't want to see that. What I want to see is a more efficient use of what we have. So what we do have are a lot of options who are very good in the quick passing game. Like we saw Brennan Schooler really thrive when you just gave him the ball very quickly and then watched him go because he doesn't know the rest of the offense. You could say the same about guys like Josh Moore or Jake Smith or Jordan Winnington, whenever they're healthy. Like this team has, I, I think, a legitimate jumping off point with the quick passing game and all of the slot wide receivers. And then if you could take that and then use it to build uh, other parts of the offense, then I think you will see something more productive come along. Because currently, Sam Ellinger's throwing deep a lot. And they're just not connecting because there's no outside wide receiver or they're using Joshua Moore out there and he's like 5'11", 160 pounds. He's not going to beat anybody for an outside ball. You know what I mean? So I just want to see a more efficient game plan. Uh, regarding one of the some of the stuff I saw, Texas is actually still in the net positive when they pass on first and second down, but instead they have a heavy tendency to run more instead. And that's... That's Herman's thinking coming in again. And again, I want him to use the talent that he has. You have an accurate passer in Sam Ellinger. He hasn't played up to it all the time this year, but clearly the head coach is in a funk and it's it's kind of permeated to the rest of the offense. So I think if they had the ability to self-scout and realize that they're doing some inefficient things and correct that, which you clearly can, then there's a good offense in there. Yeah, and that's one of the things I think that's most frustrating about it all is it seemed like that that was something weirdly that we almost did well in 2018, I felt like. We, we did what we knew we were good at, even though that didn't come in the form of big explosive plays and it didn't look pretty on Bill Connolly's SP Plus stats, the advanced stats that he had, which I still think are you should be 
health, you should have a healthy amount of skepticism for that, that methodology, but it doesn't look pretty on there, but it got the job done. We were able to be effective on offense. If that comes in the form of being slow and methodical and taking four yards, five yards of play instead of going for these 50-yard bombs, then so be it. If it comes in the form of, like you were talking about, the quick passing game, if we're running slants and we're taking what the defense gives us and it's a six-yard completion and then a three-yard completion and then, then we do a little screen pass to get those last two yards, whatever it takes, just don't have these empty possessions, especially don't do it where it seems like you simultaneously try to go fast but also be physical so that we end up wasting a t- or wasting almost no time. So our defense... Maybe they just held up like they did several times against OU, forcing field goals when they could have given up touchdowns or making the making OU have to work for a touchdown after they block a punt from Ryan Bushevsky. Just be be effective. It, like Embrace what you're actually good at. And it seems like those examples are when we go pass first late in the game. Be willing to do that. You don't need the run game to have a short game. You We saw Jordan Whittington in basically effectively his first full game at texas playing slot receiver open several times just running little underneath routes if the defense is going to give that to you and they're going to take away brendan eagles way down deep or josh moore down the middle take the four yards that jordan whittington is being given just do the little dump off pass and like get into a rhythm with those short little throws and build something instead right now it seems like we just sort of throw shit at a wall and hopefully something sticks, and hopefully the ball goes down the field, and hopefully we end up in the end zone at the end of it, and we are coming up empty far too much for that to be acceptable. Yeah, exactly. There's a clear funk in this team, and you can see it, and it's everywhere. And so do you want to go on now to our second voicemail? Because I think this one was pretty great. I think this person made some great points. Yeah, uh, and I think this one also underscores the sort of aggressiveness that we somehow have shown in the past but haven't been able to do so far. So take a listen. Hi, this is Stephanie calling from Bethesda, Maryland. We just watched this game. We're extremely disappointed. They should have gone for two when they could win the game, and this is just really not out of character at all for Tom Herman. So please just go ahead and fire him. I've got some people sitting with me. Got anything to add? Hey, fuck Tom Herman, though. Two chances to go for two. He sucks. Get rid of him. Thanks. Bring someone else from Ohio State. They're much better. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, Stephanie from Bethesda, Maryland. I think you might be our first caller who has called in from outside the state of Texas. So it's nice to see uh, that our audience extends beyond the borders of Texas. So I think that the main point here, other than the call to fire Herman and hire someone else, which is going to be a common thread with all three of these uh, voicemails. Go for two. At the end of the game, we have everything going for us. We have all of the momentum. We score a touchdown with 14 seconds left, and we kick an extra point. Yeah, exactly. Like, one, one of the biggest complaints that fans have had the first three years with Herman is just, People have thought he's had he's had inexplicable instances where we go for it instead of kicking a field goal. And a lot of times you could fall back and say, hey, the binder said it, the analytics favor going for it, we didn't succeed, or we had a bad play call, but going for it was the right choice. Maybe it's I maybe I don't know how the binder works, 
But even by the most traditional approach to football, everyone would have been screaming at you, go for two. You just scored the touchdown. You've scored 13 unanswered. You've got the defense on the on their heels. You're moving the ball at will. You just had Jordan, or not Jordan Winnington, Keontae Ingram wide open to score the touchdown. You practice two-point plays. There are special plays in the playbook for those two-point conversions. Pull one of them out here. This is the time. Go for it. And I don't know why, with Sam Ellinger as your quarterback, who was running wild in the the last quarter against OU, had scored on QB power previously in the game, how you don't line up, and even if you don't do anything fancy, just run QB power. Oklahoma, outside of a couple times last year, never showed an ability over the last three years to stop Sam Ellinger on QB power. How do you not go for two right there? And if you don't go for two right there, how do you not go for two in the second overtime, when we went second, we scored, and we decided to kick an extra point and go to triple overtime, where we're back on the disadvantage. Exactly. I don't get it. Look, this is what I said earlier. He, Herman, is playing not to lose. He is so tightly wound up right now, and I think he feels the pressure from the outside, regardless of however much he claims he doesn't, you know, read the news or read Twitter or listen to what anyone is saying about his program, he knows. And I think he feels it. And so he's trying to make so many of these little safe decisions. And really, he is going to meet the end of his time at Texas because he turtled, because he's acting like this. And frankly, this is the biggest example of, you know, what I mean when I say that he's just playing not to lose. And you can't do that. Uh, You had all the advantages built in. You knew that if you went for two, you're probably going to get it. I have no idea why he never went for it. And he probably could have ended the game right there. Whether, um, well, even if the game ended there and it wasn't the result that we wanted, as long as the play call was good or one that could be justified, I wouldn't have had a problem with it. Or at least not that portion of the game. I would have had a problem with the other, you know, 55 minutes of it. But, you know, if he would have just gone for two, everybody would have said, okay, he's still trying to play for this job. I I don't know. Like you said, it's it's just inexcusable right now. I just can't. I, I've tried. I've, I've rewatched those drives. I just got done today going through and cutting up and editing the game for the our Longhorn Nation game archive. I rewatched all that stuff. I, I, I will never understand why we didn't go for two on either of those opportunities that were staring us straight in the face. It, it, it just, it just won't make sense. It, it's a complete departure from everything else that Herman has shown, where he will be aggressive and much less pressing situations. I feel. And then in this situation, suddenly we're going to play conservative and try and go to overtime where you could be at a disadvantage and not have the advantage that you're currently playing with. So I'm not sure what the logic was. He talked about it during his press conference and admitted that they thought about it, which doesn't really make me feel better. I guess I probably would have just been angrier if he said, oh, go for two. Well, that idea never popped into my brain, but I don't. I, I want him to explain what page of the binder we were looking at for these calls because I don't I, I don't see the logic 
on any level of of just kicking an extra point. What you thought was going to happen to to help you win that game by kicking an extra point. Yeah, I'm not sure either. And frankly, the biggest reason to have gone for two right there is because your offense was rolling and who knows what happens to your defense, which already hadn't had a good game when they're going to be fatigued and they're going to be playing against Lincoln Riley. And let's be real, Lincoln Riley is the better offensive head coach. And if you keep giving him enough shots, he's going to take them and he's going to convert. You know what I mean? So in in any scenario where you are counting on your defense to stop Lincoln Riley's offense, just just bet that your defense is probably not going to be successful. And it's okay to admit that. It's okay to say, yeah, okay, uh, that, that is not our strength. Again, let's just play to uh, the advantage that we have currently and see if we can just win the game. Yeah, and that, that sort of expectation with your defense, just how you have to approach playing defense in this conference, uh, especially against Oklahoma, where it's just, they're going to get yards, they're going to get points sometimes, it comes with the territory. Just be able to pick yourself back up and be ready to fight back on the next drive. But you can't expect your defense to hold out the entire time because Lincoln Riley is so good. Even though he had some extremely questionable decisions in this game, it seemed like he was out menzing Menza himself at points. But even still, I there's no doubt in my mind that Lincoln Riley is the best play caller in college football and honestly pro football. Kansas City Chiefs can suck my dick. Uh there's, I, I just, yeah, I, again, I don't, I will not understand the decision to not be aggressive and go for two to just end the game right there on your own terms. But, you know, that's why I'm not getting $6 million a year to be the head coach at Texas, apparently. We've kind of briefly touched on this, but I guess neither of us are too concerned about the defense because at this point they are who they are. Uh, The one surprising part was that they couldn't stop the Oklahoma run game, which had been abysmal so far this year. And instead, they make them look like the old Oklahoma. And that's inexcusable. But again, I just, um, uh, this this is maybe the one area of the team where outside of tackling, I'm like, okay, we don't have the depth in certain parts. We don't have any good linebackers. And Chris Ash is just having to like, do all of this on the fly since there wasn't a spring. I know that a lot of people didn't like Herman on Monday in his press conference talking about, oh, we didn't have a spring, we didn't have a spring. And I understand that nobody else had a spring either, but one of the coordinators here was uh, having to pick up the pieces from a broken defense, and that was Chris Ash. So uh, I think I'm willing to give him a little bit of a leeway here because... He didn't have to start over from scratch. It's the offense that's looking like more of a mess currently. So that's why we're talking about it. But uh, again, defense is also bad, but I understand why it's bad. Yeah, and I mentioned last week that all of our best defenses over the past decade were predicated on strong linebacker play. Our best linebacking play was the the tentpole of each of those good defenses that we had over the last decade that's sort of like four of them that we had over the last decade which is horrifying in its own right I think it's it says a lot about what Chris Ash is working with when his best linebacker 
is your best pass rusher, so you need to need to play him along the line. You can't have him be the run stopper, otherwise you lose the teeth of your pass rush. And then your second best linebacker is a converted safety who's never played the position before and is trying his best to just get on the field and and learn the position on the fly in the most difficult offensive conference in all of college football. So with with that in mind, I, I'm on the same page as you are. I'm not happy with the defense, but I can at least understand sort of the root of the struggles that we're working with there. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if Chris Dash is here next year, but it would be nice if he at least like taught everybody how to tackle and then that carried over. Interestingly enough, we have all these four and five stars and <laughs> they still can't tackle or know how to play pass coverage, but eh. It is what it is. Yeah, at at this point, I mean, he's basically doing, trying to make something beautiful. He's trying to put lipstick on a pig when he wasn't the one to buy the pig. He wasn't the one to feed the pig, but he's the one who gets to take care of the pig at this point. So I think all things considered, he's doing as good as could reasonably be expected with all of the other stuff. Well, I don't understand some of the... um rotations that we're doing but then again that seems like a general team problem where i don't understand some of the player personnel and rotations that we're doing so i don't know how much i can blame chris ash or i can just blame tom herman because you know ultimately this is a team issue so with that you want to get to our final uh voicemail that we received yep we'll jump right into that final voicemail right here Hi, this is John from Austin, Texas. I think that Tom Herman is a very overrated coach who cannot beat other coaches in the conference. He is now 1-4 against Lincoln Riley, 1-3 against Gary Patterson, and I will bet that he's going to be 1-3 against Mike Gundy at the end of this season. You cannot win the Big 12 by losing continuously to three different teams. Um, Tom Herman needs to go, and they need to bring in somebody who can win games and beat their rivals. Thank you, John from Austin. Uh, bring up a pretty good point. Herman is really struggling with three programs, especially. Uh, now he's one and four against Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley, one and three against Gary Patterson, and probably will be one and three against Gundy. Oklahoma State so far to this point has looked really good, which is concerning. I know a lot of people have tried to play the blame game, saying that there was a lot of turmoil with all sort of the racial injustice stuff and the Black Lives Matter stuff that surrounded the team in the offseason. Oklahoma State had it far worse than we did. They had far more problems than we did, and they're still playing cohesively. So I don't think those things are at all connected. Also, I wanted to mention for Gary Patterson, uh, when John mentioned Gary Patterson in his voicemail, Our mailbox automatically transcribes every voicemail that's left for us. Google's voice transcription, when it's through sort of the filter of a phone call, is not super good. So it heard Gary Patterson as scary dead person. So just heads up, if you hear me reference scary dead person here or on Twitter or something like that, uh, talking about Gary Patterson, I just really like the nickname of scary dead person. Yeah, and John brought up a lot of great points. We can't beat the teams that Herman was hard to beat. Um, I've always said this, and I said this on a podcast four years ago. I'll believe that Herman has arrived or been a good hire if 
in one season he can beat Gary Patterson, Mike Gundy, and whoever's at OU. That was it. That is my bar for Herman. Because if you beat those three guys who are probably the best head coaches um, in the Big 12, then you're, you, you know, you're going to have a good season, right? And he's never accomplished that. And he's, he's not going to get the opportunity to accomplish that this season. And what's scary is that actually uh, Patterson and Lincoln Riley haven't done the best coaching jobs in the conference this year so far. We still have to play Oklahoma State. We still have to play Iowa State. We still have to play Kansas State. Although Kansas State lost their starting quarterback, so they're a little more mortal. But you get my point. The coaching in this conference... Uh, especially in the uh, middle class, has taken another step up. Uh, all these guys are having their teams be in title contention for the conference. And Herman still hasn't played any of those three up-and-coming coaches yet outside of Gundy. So I, I have no idea how this is going to go other than to say I don't have faith in Herman to beat any of those guys. So basically, what I'm saying is, or what I'm asking you, Josh, is do you think we will see a mid-season firing at Texas? I don't think a mid-season firing is in the cards unless everything unravels after this bye week. If we're completely non-competitive against Baylor and we're completely non-competitive for the two games after that, if we roll into um, that, that second or third bye week, I guess, um, sitting only at like two and two and five, I could see there being some sort of announcement just sort of officially making Herman a dead man walking. But I think at this point, I think fans sort of overvalue what it means to fire a coach midseason. Firing a coach midseason doesn't... There, the, Herman remaining on the staff does not prevent the boosters who are ultimately the ones who are going to fund buyouts for Herman and his staff for whoever, whatever coach we go after to replace him and his staff. The boosters are ultimately the ones who are funding all that. So for the most part at this juncture, they're the ones pushing forward with, with a, a search for who a candidate would be. I don't think there's any value added for the boosters for Tom Herman to be officially fired. It, it I, I guess it's sort of a short-term fix to just be like, look, we are definitely moving on. Everyone can shut up and maybe CDC will just be happy to have a few less people in his, or a few fewer people in his mentions on Twitter. But I, I just don't see a mid-season firing happening. I think if we move on, it'll be pretty quick right after the last game of the season. I just, I don't know how much I believe that because Herman is, okay, I've never seen a guy who is um, so widely hated, allegedly, by boosters, by the media who covers him, by the fans. At least like Charlie was, um, he he had the uh, personality of someone that you'd want to want to meet and hang out with maybe you know get a meal with um so there was a little bit of a a charm a a charisma to charlie herman doesn't have that right so that's working against him and i mean we've seen the team crater they cratered last year hard in the second half and it seems like they're at the tipping point where 
and uh, one more weird thing to happen to them, one more bad loss, and they're going to just completely tune him out as a coach. So uh, basically, to me, it's a question of do you enter um, what we called it earlier in our group chat, uh, Willie Tagger territory, where basically the whole fan base checks out the team checks out, and at that point it becomes too expensive to keep this coach because nobody wants to pay to watch this bad product. And essentially, um, I don't know how Herman is going to salvage from this point. And if I had to put my money on it, um, I don't think he can. And essentially, he is going to lead to another tipping point. If it doesn't happen against Baylor or if it happens against someone else, and I don't know if he can climb back out of that. So that's why I think this may be the first time where I think a mid-season firing might not actually like be so ridiculous, and depending on how bad the cratering is, uh, might actually be warranted. Yeah, I think really the only way for Herman to save his job at this point is to not only go undefeated the rest of the way, but to go undefeated convincingly. But you mentioned sort of the the dynamic and the fan base with Charlie Strong. Everyone remembers that was online. That was all-out war. Whether or not you thought Charlie deserved another year, whether or not you thought he deserved to be fired, basically up until that Kansas game where the dam broke and everyone was like, even, even I was one of the ones who was in Charlie's corner all the way through to that Kansas game. I went to that goddamn Kansas game and it's burned into my into my retinas, into my brain, and it will be one my of my deepest regrets. And I will never go back to the city of Lawrence because of it. But there was such a large segment of the fan base that was behind Charlie Strong the whole way. That doesn't exist at all for Herman. The, the, the only people you have right now defending Herman, if you could even call it that, or at least advocating for not firing him, are the people going, hold on, guys. This pandemic has ruined our finances. We can't afford to do it. We do not have the money to do it. That's the best argument anyone has right now. No one's going, well, I mean, if you look at this angle and that angle... Well, we do have fans who, who... Who have always had the mentality that Texas does not do midseason firings. For better or worse, that has been what Texas does. Um, although. If Charlie didn't get a midseason firing, it would be funny if Herman actually did. But again, I, I think those are the two only points. A, you know, if you do move on from Herman right now, you're still going to have to pick up the pieces. You know, you're going to have to pay him regardless, so might as well just let him stay at the job. But the, the only two cases, like you mentioned, are A, COVID, so there's going to be lack of funding, and B, you know, Texas doesn't do this. Texas isn't uh, one of those teams that fires midseason like Florida State. But, you know, Florida State wasn't a team like that either. They had to do it. Um, and Texas may come to a point where they have to make that choice. All I can ask for is that if we're going to take that leap, just for the absolute poetic end of it charlie strong effectively lost his job when we lost to kansas november 19th 2016 in lawrence tom herman plays at kansas 
in Lawrence, November 20th, 2020. Nearly four years to the day. So if we're going to run him off, run him off after that one. Leave him on the tarmac in Topeka or wherever the actual airport is that we'd be flying into. Leave him there. I, I just feel like it would bring it all full circle. It, Herman effectively started with Kansas, and he's going out with Kansas. That's my only requirement if we're going to do the midseason firing. You do it there. Of course, that is the second to last game, so nearly the end of the season. I don't want to wait that long. But but the poetry of it, Tux, the poetry is so important here. Look, I, I understand that. You need to appreciate the art. I can't. I can't take another weird, funky game against Kansas. My heart just can't outdo that. It won't be weird and funky. We will just get obliterated, and that will be nothing funky about it. No, it will be obvious no, and clear. No, I can't do it. I, I look. I'm I'm on board with a lot of your ideas. When um, I don't. I can't remember if it was you who wanted to get tacos at or no burgers at uh, what is it? What is that bar uh, that we went to after the LSU game? You wanted to get burgers at like one o'clock in the morning. And I, and I said, you know what? That's a great idea. I'm exhausted, but I'm going to go. That was a great idea then. But this, this is not a good idea. <laughs> this is the last thing I want to see. I I mean, there's probably a lot of people who all they can think about is all the memes they've had to hear on Reddit, on Twitter, about Texas lost to Kansas. Okay, fine. I get it. But the art. The oh, art, my God. It, it, it will haunt me. If, if that is not the time to pull the trigger midseason, it will haunt me. Could you imagine if he does actually do the unspeakable, and I won't say it again, and then he still stays head coach? Oh my gosh. At that point, if you're CDC, you can't afford to have this south end zone, assuming that we've get, got COVID figured out by next next football season. Fingers crossed. You can't have that south end zone be anything but full for that opening game. You need that to like show off. Look at this cool end zone we built. Look at the suites. Look at the the, the seats. The, the Longhorn logo tunnel that is an upside down Longhorn on a map if you're looking north to south. All of this stuff, you've been building up to all this. If Herman is still there, you're going to have a 100,000-seat stadium with maybe half full, you might as well still have COVID because everyone will still be socially distant. No, no, I, I still can't. I still can't get on board. This is all terrible. I, I, don't, I don't want that to happen. I'm saying if he, if he loses to Kansas, if he does anything other than de- like clearly and definitively win the next six games, get into the, uh, the Big 12 title game that a two-loss team probably will, Get into the Big 12 title game, win the Big 12. If you don't do that all convincingly, I think he's done. Yeah, and, and I frankly think the next loss he has, he's just done. The writing's on the wall here. So with that, uh, do you want to take a couple minutes to talk about who, it, like, assume that there is a coaching search underway already. You are in charge of it, right? So who is your first, second, and third call that you make? I know what the answer is for the first call that a lot of fans want to make. And I don't know if I'm making this the official position of the podcast or if this is just my own position, but under absolutely no circumstances do I personally want Urban Meyer. I understand he's one of the greatest coaches of all time, 
I understand he's the most available. There's not going to be a buyout to buy him out of his contract with Fox Sports. He would be, in theory, as far as upfront cost, the cheapest coach that we could possibly get right now. However, the like wake of destruction and just the Zach Smith scandal and all of this stuff, I I cannot resolve that for me personally. I am not there yet. If we if we do hire Urban Meyer, I'm not going to go so far as to say that I'm out on the program, but I will not be happy about it. But Urban Meyer is absolutely not my choice. I hope it's not Urban Meyer. I want to believe that it is possible to be successful at Texas without having to be having to go after one of the biggest pieces of shit in head coaching in like the last 10 years outside of the guy who was in Waco not too long ago. Okay, look. Yeah, you know what? It is the the official podcast position. And the reason I say that is because you need a strong athletic department to be behind Urban Meyer. If you got Nick Saban, you would need a strong athletic department to be behind him as well. Currently, it looks like our athletic department is, um, well, it, it, it seems like it's still in shambles. Regardless of everything else that CDC has done, it still seems like it's, um, it's a mess. And frankly, if, if this was Ohio State, where you have a strong athletic department that goes back literally decades, and you knew that you could control some of the unsavory bits of uh, Urban Meyer, that justifies it. Even then, they couldn't do it because they had to plan for him to, you know, have to go through all of these scandals and issues, and finally he just retires. And even they couldn't escape all of the the back-end issues that a Urban Meyer head coaching uh, tenure comes with. So my issue is Texas AD, I look at them, I know what they've been for the past 10 years, and I don't think they can survive it because the fallout from when Urban Meyer leaves is going to be, uh, I would say, five times worse at a place like Texas as opposed to Ohio State, which bounced back relatively well, and Florida, which maybe still hasn't quite bounced back. Um, they've been up and down. So that that is my big concern, is that I don't trust RAD to be able to rein in a coach like that. Frankly, I don't even think there is a way to rein in a coach like that. You will have scandals. You will have issues. You will have probably a lot more success than Texas football is having right now. But you're making a bargain with the devil, basically. And I don't trust Texas football to be able to handle it. Don't really have a whole lot more to add to that. But so end result of the first three phone calls I would make, my negative first phone call would be to not Urban Meyer. Do not call Urban Meyer. I do not want Urban Meyer. I already know the boosters have called Urban Meyer and his agent and all that shit. That is, that is, I know that's the answer people want. I am telling you that is the answer that I do not want it Well, to be. look, we do have to point out some bias here, okay? Uh, your other team, Colorado State, <laughs> they did reach out to Urban Meyer as a consultant yeah, yeah then... fuck Urban Meyer for that, too. <laughs> that is a whole other bag of worms. 
wheel in like six different assistants to interview for possibly taking over the CSU head coach job. And we get stuck with Steve fucking Adazio, who hasn't won shit since he took over at like, what was it, Temple or something, following Al Golden and won 10 games in his first year. And since then hasn't won more than like seven in a season. That's who Urban Meyer handed to CSU because he's so fucking qualified that he can't manage to do shit with any of his teams ever. But, you know, that, yeah, that's a whole other can of worms of just shit that Urban Meyer fucking sucks at. So I, I understand that there's some bias on your end because you've already been on this Urban Meyer roller coaster. But I don't think we should hold that against you because... I mean, we can see the results. Colorado State looks like they're in shambles. They haven't even played yet, have they? And they look like they're already a mess off the field. Hey, I mean, what can you say? It's it's a pandemic. You've barely gotten to practice. You have the university investigating allegations of racial discrimination in the football program, investigating uh, coaches supposedly encouraging players to ignore COVID protocol, um, and we're probably still going to get boat raced by every team on our schedule. But beyond that, Adazio is doing a great job so far, I think. And you guys didn't even um, hire Urban Meyer. You just, you skipped the Urban Meyer hiring process and went to his chosen appointee as his successor. You, you guys skipped all of the steps and the winning and everything and skipped to the end. We, we, we skipped to the part where we thought we were going to get Ryan Day and we got Steve fucking Adazio. That's all, that's all I can say. Exactly. It's basically like a Florida football. You, you, uh, you are now stuck with Will Muschamp. So, so that's it. Um, so again, one, two, and three. Who, we went on one big sidetrack, but one, two, and three. Who do you call? Okay, this one is not going to be a popular one. It's going to seem very unachievable. But I went through and made a list sort of of a bunch of coaches that I considered entrenched. Mostly guys at Blue Blood schools. So you're talking about Nick Saban at Alabama. You're talking about Ryan Day at Ohio State. Obviously Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. Where those guys aren't leaving for another college job for one reason or another. Uh, I've also included on there... Mario Cristobal at Oregon, who I think is a very intriguing pick, but I think that Daddy Phil Nightmare would outbid you the entire way. I know we all talk about Texas has booster money. Oregon has Nike money. That that basically the entire profit of the Nike Nike as a company might as well be the piggy bank for them holding onto their coach. The one that seems the most entrenched right now would be Dabo Swinney. However, I think he comes with the caveat of he's only entrenched until Alabama comes calling. And for that reason, because I think that there is a job he would leave for, I think you have to, like, you have to reach out at least a little bit. Because if the door is not fully shut on him leaving Clemson, you have to try and see if you can squeeze in there. That's my first, that is my shooting for the moon, dreaming big, like way out there pick. And for all of Dabo's knocks on him, for him being this this fake sort of like trying to pretend like he's like, oh, I'm just little old Dabo and we're little old Clemson and we're just, you know, trucking along there. 
if I'm not mistaken, the worst allegations you can come up with against him for his program have been paying for recruits. Uh, which is, don't you remember the PED scandal? PEDs, whatever. As long as we're not beating women, not committing crimes, sexual assault, shit like that, brushing that under the rug like we're Bob Stoops, I can deal with paying recruits. I honestly don't care. I wish we played in the mud more than we do. But if that's the biggest knock you can come up with against Dabo, I think he has to be your first call, as unlikely as it is. I think he's still like, you know, 500 to 1 odds that he says yes. But I think you have to try because he's one of the coaches that's at that level who I don't believe is fully entrenched in the job that he's at right now. Okay, that's fair. My number one is, I know you mentioned him, but it's Mario Cristobal. I have doubts about what his team will look like once they don't have a top-tier quarterback like Justin Herbert. But, again, I see if you can try to outbid Nike. Maybe he doesn't want to be at Oregon. I don't know. Whatever it is, whatever your angle is, you find it and you try to get him at Texas. Because, you know, there is a good chance that under Mario Cristobal, you're going to have great offensive and defensive line play and you know that he's going to recruit lights out and you know that he's going to let his assistants do their job and build a good culture. Uh, What he did at Oregon after, what, two successive transition classes and a program that looked like it might be stuck in the mud for a decade to yank them out and make an 11-win team out of that, that's crazy. And I've seen the proof of concept at a G5 program and then the same at a, maybe not like a blue blood, but like Oregon is definitely second or third tier easily. And I see the proof of concept there as well. So I think if you can get him at a place like Texas, you can see the results that you're wanting to see. I just want to see him have one season where he doesn't have Justin Herbert and um, let him... I want to see him turn the offense loose, basically. Absolutely. The, I guess my next, I don't, I don't really have a hard two and a hard three, but there's probably three guys that I think you sort of, you, you at least kick the tires on. Um, one is you go up to Ames, you go to Iowa State, and go to Matt Campbell. I think the familiarity with the Big 12, the ability that he's shown to get his defenses ready to play against the offenses that are in the Big 12 consistently is a big reason why you go looking to Matt Campbell first. Um, He doesn't have great recruiting chops to a certain degree. Texas does recruit itself. um, But he's been able to do pretty well. The biggest knock on Matt Campbell that I have hasn't been able to beat Iowa. So I don't know about him as far as rivalry games or recruiting. But otherwise, I like a lot of what he has shown so far. Uh, I think you also go look at P.J. Fleck. Minnesota has been built up under P.J. Fleck. He built up Western Michigan. Some people can discount that, say he had weak schedules, what have you. I think of all of the coaches that are truly available right now, he has had the most Power 5 success of anyone. He had proven his ability to build up a program to get buy-in into his culture. The only issue that I have with B.J. Fleck is he comes with his own personal brand. That row-the-boat stuff, all of that is all him. That, that wasn't Western Michigan. And even though they've got it all over their jerseys now, it's definitely not Minnesota. If you can disconnect him from that brand, I think you've got something there. Last one I would say, 
and this one's kind of a little more iffy. I think you go to Kentucky, you look at Mark Stoops, despite the family relationship, I think you knock on his door uh, and sort of explore that option because I think he's done a pretty impressive job, all things considered, given how little Kentucky cares about their football program, being that they are basketball first, no question. Okay, for me, I think you had a good point. Matt Campbell is my number two because you've seen the proof of concept in the Big in the Big Twelve, and you've seen him at um, I think it was Toledo where he was at previously, and he was successful there as well. So I think he can do it. Um, again, my my problem not so much. Yes, the Iowa question is a big one, but the bigger question for me is his teams always have slow starts. And then they catch a rhythm somewhere around October. And then they do pretty well after that. Uh, we need a coach who will be the coach, you know, from beginning to end. Not just starting October. And then P.J. Fleck, I think, is a good point. Uh, he could be someone that is successful, but his whole personality kind of rubs me off as... Rubs me the same way as Tom Herman did. And uh, don't worry, I heard that. You said P.J. Fleck will rub you off. Got it. No, you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> he he gives you that same impression of of Tom Herman when he was at Houston. So I don't know if you can go to that well again. I don't know if the fan base would be okay with it. And then finally, I guess I just want a an actual head coaching search. I don't want one that's like, super long drawn out where they interview every guy possible i don't want one where they just just the boosters just decide this is your guy and you're gonna hire him and i don't want one where they shoot for the moon um and don't you know get that guy and then just have to scramble for whoever's left like charlie strong Uh, i just want them the athletic department to understand what texas football is what the challenges are which coach can actually deliver on um, the problems and try to deliver solutions and go with that. Like, even if that means you hire a G5 coach, even if that means you hire a coordinator, if it is a culture fit, I think everything else falls into line. So that's, that's my thoughts on it. That makes sense. And since it seemed like we basically stuck exclusively to Power 5, coaches i think the expectation is that if we're going to pay this buyout for tom herman if we're going to pay the buyout for another staff it needs to be someone with proven success at the power five level however i do think there are some interesting names to keep an eye on at the g5 level getting one of these guys probably means we struck out on who our actual first picks were so i'm sure the fan base will be disheartened if we do pick up any of these guys but i think these guys are guys who could be that new hotness in a few years. They could be the next P.J. Fleck or Matt Campbell or whatever. Uh, I think you look to the American Conference, you got Cincinnati, Luke Fickle, doing a really good job with their defense there. The American Conference, I feel like, sometimes plays like a Big 12 light, has a lot of high-flying offenses with SMU, with UCF, with Memphis. So you have a lot of that familiarity with some of those concepts. I think you also look into Conference USA, You go to Alabama-Birmingham. Bill Clark has done a good job there. Again, strong defense. If you go to the Mountain West, you've got the old offensive coordinator for Texas, Brian Harson. That is his alma mater. It is still a G5 school, though, but he has continued 
to keep Boise at a pretty high level. They haven't reached the peaks that Chris Peterson led them to, but they're still winning 10 games a year regularly. They're still winning the Mountain West regularly. I think that that's enough reason to sort of circle back there. See how many hard feelings he was left with after the interactions with Mac and the other boosters that he had to deal with when he was at Texas the first time. And then the last G5 guy I would also take a look at, even if it's, again, just sort of kicking the tires, quick glance. Uh, you go down to Louisiana Lafayette, and as we're recording right now, they could be losing. They were tied at halftime when we started recording. But you go Billy Napier down at Louisiana, beat Iowa State this year. They've won, I think, 11 games each of the last two years. They look pretty strong. They're ranked this year uh, pretty solidly into the top 25. They're not a borderline top 25 group of five team. So I think those are the ones you look at in the group of five, those four guys, Fickle, Clark, Harson, and Napier. I will say one other guy on my list that I don't think we've mentioned is Chris Kleiman. I'm not sure if he's a culture fit, but everything that I've seen so far at Kansas State leads me to believe that's a good head coach. That's a guy who's going to be successful anywhere. I don't know if he would be like a national championship winning head coach, but at least not at the P5 level. I think you can expect that he would get you to 10-11 wins, right, consistently, and just put you in position to maybe make a national title run if everything shakes out right. Yeah, I think the only reason that I'm slowed there is, like you said, that that culture fit. He's definitely a culture fit at Kansas State, plays a lot of that very sort of hard-nosed football. Um, they do have some more spread concepts than they had under the uh, Purple Wizard at Kansas State. They, they have evolved the offense a little bit beyond that, but I think for the most part, they're still feels very pro style. And I think a lot of people might be a little off, put off by that, despite the fact that he has Kansas State playing way better than anyone was expecting him to last year or this year. So yeah, I, I think you definitely, definitely have to hit up. He would be gettable. He's a guy you can get most definitely because he doesn't have some crazy buyout nor does he have some crazy salary you'd have to keep up with. Um, but again, it would just be a problem of culture fit. And he's going to be a problem, you know, in this conference for many years now. We can already tell in year two. Why not let him be your, you know, why not let him be on your team so that everyone else has to see him as a problem? So that that's really it. Um, I think those are all the candidates that I would like. Um, I don't think I ever said number three for me. That would probably be Brian Harson, just because he probably understands the Texas job better than most, and he, I think, would be a stabilizing force at at Texas. Yeah, and then there are some reaches. You go into the NFL. I know uh, Kyle Shanahan, the current head coach for the 49ers, was a wide receiver at Texas back in the late 90s. I think that's one. Again, you kick the tires. I don't think that one's at all realistic, any more realistic than Dabo is. Um but I feel like you, you have to ask because San Francisco has a weird way of running off pretty good football coaches for no reason whatsoever. So see if you can be on the receiving end of that. And then the other one, just because I know his name came up when Colorado was trying to replace Mel Tucker this offseason, the current offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs, Eric Bieniemy, uh, he was a running back at Colorado, so I think... 
that was probably a big reason why there were so many connections there. He ultimately didn't take the Colorado job, obviously. But I think that's another one where you circle past just to check and see, gauge the temperature. Uh, but I think he's a guy who's more long for being an NFL head coach in the very near future. All right. Well, I think that's a pretty comprehensive list. So do you want to end it off there? Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll just throw out because we don't really do preview episodes. We do have a bye week this week, but we have Baylor afterwards. I think at this point we're resigned to we have no fucking clue what's going to happen other than it feels like we're going to lose. They all have coronavirus right now anyway. They probably won't even play this week. Or they're not playing. They already announced the uh, delay for them not playing Oklahoma State this week. So we'll see if they're even healthy. If they're not, we might get a free win that way. But... Uh, prediction Baylor by 10 that's all I got for you otherwise it's fire Tom Herman and yeah I don't even have hot takes for you that that's just how disheartening this loss to OU was it it feels like I, I don't know how to complete this episode don't know what else to say obviously who to fire is Herman and everyone else while we're at it but as far as hot takes I mean I just so burnt out from back-to-back disappointment and just this being the season and it all just coming unraveled already uh, is just so frustrating. It's hard to want to push through that, I guess. Yeah, exactly. My time on campus was spent during the uh, late stage Mac and then early Charlie era. So I never got to experience a winning Texas football team. And uh, it seems like I probably won't get to do much of that anytime soon. But... Um, you still look at the talent. I think you can still cheer for some of your favorite players on the team to be successful, to um, play above everything else that's going on. And really, that's like the only motivation I have currently to watch the Texas football team. Yeah, I mean, I have no expectations now other than that I will be angry on Saturdays. That's basically what I've come down to. But here we are end of this episode like i said we've got that bye week so you know you don't have to sit on the couch you might want to watch some college football maybe you want to scout a future head coach but if you don't want to do that make sure you get out do something to get your mind off of this like just take a mental health weekend i don't think anyone anyone will blame you given what we've been through I mean, really this entire year, not even just related to Texas football, but this has just been a beating of a year for everybody. So take care of yourself, um, especially after the way these two games have gone. But if you can't disconnect entirely, make sure to follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at at the FTH podcast, where we will likely be talking about the games that are going to be on this weekend while we're off. Uh, We'll be posting dumb memes, interacting, probably getting into snippy fights on Twitter with the Inside Texas guys while they make another coronavirus theory. But otherwise, make sure you subscribe to Hornscast on whichever podcasting platform you're listening to. Make sure you leave us a review, give us some feedback, however you want to do that. We will see you after the Baylor game with another episode. But until that time, hook them.